welcome. This is an awesome podcast. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to the Jeff. It's a lot of whiskey, Jeff. Macalino. Jeff Macalino. 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 Podcast. Hey, hey, welcome. Glad you are here. We've got a good episode for you today. Uh, I am joined by Shane Rogers. Uh, he's a comedian, a podcast host, uh, a mental health advocate, and a uh, TV and movie critic. Um, he hosts a podcast called Midnight Facts for Insomniacs, uh, which is a, a very cool name for a podcast, a little more original than the, the Jeff Macalino podcast, but you know, some people uh, are a little more creative. Uh, we talk about a lot of stuff, uh, comedy, podcasting, um, we talk about apocalyptic movies, uh, we talk about being a sports fan. Uh, and then in, more on the back half, we talk about dealing with depression and uh, mental health issues. Um, also talk to him about, uh, he's sober, I'm obviously not. Um, talk to him about that. Cool to, uh, you know, just, I enjoy those conversations when people are open and willing to uh, to chat about that. So had a great time talking with Shane, uh, Captain America's cousin, Shane Rogers. Uh, <laughs> I did want to... Uh, before I get to the episode, real quick for my intro, I am recording this officially uh, uh, the day before the episode's released, so it is the day of Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, you know, the Avalanche can defeat the Lightning today. The Lightning need to win back-to-back Game 6 and Game 7 uh, to uh, win their third straight Stanley Cup. I've been doing post-game shows, just five-minute reactions on YouTube for the sports website I uh, work with, uh, FL teams. Uh, you sh- should subscribe to their YouTube channel. It's just search FL teams. Pretty easy. Uh, and you can get my post game, uh, video, you know, really quickly after every game. One thing I've noticed with those very interesting trend. I started doing them in the Eastern conference finals against the Rangers. The Rangers won the first two games and the views were, 500, 700 views, something like that. A good amount of views for, you know, FL teams and, and even for me. Um, good amount of views, a lot of interaction. Rangers fans just bashing the hell out of me when the Rangers win. Uh, the Lightning won the next four games, and uh, the viewership was pretty mediocre for game three, four, five. Got a little bit of a bump because I was a little bit of a snarky jerk. Uh, in game six, when the Lightning clinched, I think was okay. Uh, the Avalanche took uh, Game 1 and Game 2 uh, as well, and uh, similar reaction from Avalanche fans just dragging me. Uh, game 3, the, the Lightning win, nobody comments, nobody cares, no one interacts. Game 4, the Avalanche win, frankly, you know, they got away with one in overtime there, um, even though they did dominate the whole overtime period. I got real snarky Game 4, and uh, the Avs fans came out in bunches. Anyways, you know, it's funny how many people, uh, first of all, hockey fans hate the Lightning because the Lightning have been champions back-to-back years and going for their third straight. People hate when teams win over and over, and I can't I can't say I'm not the same way. It's just the one time my team is the team that gets to, to be the, the dynasty that doesn't end. Um, but I do, I, I get tickled pink how angry and, uh, you know, 
much people want to just say nasty things about me uh, after those videos because I'm doing it because I know that if I just have a nice reaction video like, hey, good job, guys. You did great. You, your avalanche are awesome. Denver's a great city. If I say stuff like that, guess how many people are going to watch and comment? Zero. Trying to drive views. It's a sad thing. I don't like being that guy. I'm a nice person. Uh, I'm a little too friendly, I think, frankly. Um, but, you know, when I'm trying to uh, drive views for a sports video, guess what? Someone, I remember a, a radio host saying this a long time ago. The key is you need to have 50% of the people who love you and listen to you and 50% of the people who despise you. Because they'll both listen and they'll both be passionate, you know. So interesting. Uh, so that's kind of the uh, persona I've taken on. Uh, so we'll see if the Lightning win Game Six. I'll be uh, I'll be snarky trying to drive people there. If the Lightning lose, I'll probably be snarky and I may tell people, "Hey, you know, give it up. Don't take things so personally, people. It's entertainment." Uh, anyways. Well, I mentioned YouTube. Subscribe to my YouTube also, um, my Drunk Jeff Eats stuff. I'm getting really, really close to monetizing. So if you could just go on there and hit that subscribe button, less than 150 away, you know, help me make a few pennies. It costs you nothing to hit subscribe. The link's in the show notes below to my YouTube. Uh, I can't talk much more about the movie that I mentioned. Uh, yes, I did book and uh, I am under contract for a movie shooting this summer. Uh, it is local in the Tampa Bay era that it's shooting. Ah, more on that when, uh, when I can tell you more. You know, one thing I can tell you more about is my partner's uh, Ibotta. Ibotta is a cashback shopping app that makes every purchase rewarding. When you start with Ibotta, you can earn cashback on hundreds of brands and retailers, both in-store and online. Uh, I made over $5 going shopping at Publix this past week. Uh, it's super easy. You look through the things where the cashback offers are, and you're talking about, I got dairy-free cream cheese for my son. Uh, you know, you've got Captain Morgan's on there right now. You've, you've got liquor. You've got food. You've got household items. you got everything. Uh, check it out. Who couldn't use more cash? Uh, I can vouch for it because... My mother has made $500 using this app. So download the app. Use the link below, please. Register. And uh, just, you know, with what's going on out there, you could, who couldn't use an extra buck or two? Uh, and, if, you know, or $5.25 back when you go shopping. You know, can't argue with that. Uh, so check that out. Again, download it at the app below. I mentioned liquor. And, guys... Podcast is also sponsored by Flaviar. It's a whiskey club for explorers at heart. Flaviar is a completely personalized online spirit subscription service that lets people try premium spirits from the comfort of their homes. They're a band of spirits enthusiasts inspired by culture, rich history, and the art of distillation. They forage the world of spirits for the finest, rarest, and most unique expressions out there and pack it all into a 21st century members club. Flaviar is on a mission to help you taste new things more often by helping you discover new favorites without breaking the bank 
with their tasting boxes, which contain three premium spirit samples. They give you access to a wide range of premium bottles, exclusive releases, and members-only spirits. They teach you about the differences and nuances in flavor, the history, and the lingo with the help of industry insiders and spirits pros. They also give you the means to bond and hang out with a passionate community at live and online events. There is a world of outstanding spirits out there, and Flaviar believes it's your right to taste them. Check them out. Use that link below so they know that your boy sent you. All right. Long-winded introduction. Uh, hope you enjoy it. I sure enjoyed this conversation with Shane Rogers. All right, everybody. I am now super pleased to welcome Shane Rogers to the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Um, I warned you ahead of time. Don't if I call you Steve, call me out on it for some reason. I just <laughs> I kept I, I I wrote your name down on my calendar as Steve Rogers, and I'm like, why? Why? I'm you know I like Marvel and all, but I'm not. <laughs> it's not always on my brain. But <laughs> hey, hey, there are worse things to be called. I'll take Captain America. That's uh, America's ass, right? Isn't that? Uh... Yeah, that 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 is America's <laughs> ass. <laughs> um. So thank, thanks for coming on. Uh, I, uh, I I wanted to talk to you about a few things. You've got a, a very fun uh, and successful, I would say, from an outside perspective, podcast. Uh, and I know you you dabble in stand-up, at, at least dabble. Maybe I'm underselling you there. Um, I dabble in stand-ups. <laughs> uh by that I mean I at least try to average one open mic a month lately. It's It's... Uh, hit or, hit or hey, miss. that's that's not bad for post-COVID. You know, it's a it's a different world out there in the comedy game. So you know, hitting up the open mics, and I'm glad they're back. I'm glad there are open mics to hit up now. Yeah, well, I'm in Florida, so I never really. Oh, okay. I use it. A, I used it as an excuse for months. I'm like, well, I want to start doing open mics, but I know they're open, but I I don't want to get COVID, so I'm not. Yeah, I'm out in California, and uh, some of the clubs just haven't reopened at all. My my two two of my favorite clubs actually, Rooster Teeth Feathers, and DNA's Comedy Lab, which is actually in Santa Cruz here, um, and Rooster Teeth Feathers over in Sunnyvale. Both I think are are down for the count. So mm-hmm. that's sad. Those were my two favorite clubs. I got to open for a lot of uh, people that I admired there. Uh, the Punchline is open again. Cobbs is open again here, which are the, the two big ones in San Francisco. Um, so, but I have to drive pretty far to do any good comedy shows now. It's it's kind of a shame. Yeah. So so uh, why do you hate yourself enough that you uh, started doing stand-up? <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah, I think uh, comedians, that is, that is part of the game. Um, it is there is a masochism a level of masochism that is required to get up in front of people and and subject yourself to uh, potential ridicule every every night um I, you know it started for me in college i actually had a newspaper column and i went to uc davis in california and uh the aggie newspaper i had a weekly column that was comedic and so i, I got really used to writing comedy and it, you know it's obviously different, very different format. But once I graduated, I had all these extra comedy articles that I had written that were ready to go because I used to just, I was constantly writing to try to keep up with my weekly column and and have some extras. 
And so I didn't know what to do with them. And I had this backlog of, of stuff. And so I started a blog, I, I put them online and it actually, it, it got a little bit of traction and one um, entry that I had in particular uh, kind of went mildly semi-viral. It just got a lot of, um, a lot of interest and I, I got a lot of feedback from it. And one of the people who contacted me was a woman who at the time was working at the Laugh Factory. I think it was at the Laugh Factory in uh, Hollywood. And she was moving to Chicago to manage the Laugh Factory there that they were just opening. And she said, hey, you're this is really funny stuff. Have you considered doing stand up? And I hadn't at the time thought about that at all. I ended up flying out to Chicago and uh, hanging out with her for a week and got to see a bunch of great comedy shows, got to do their like little open mic thing that they had. And I got to do just a five minute guest set and it went really well. Um, and uh, that was the start. And it was just from there, I, I got bit by the comedy bug and, and just kept going. Uh, and uh, it, it's funny with uh, nowadays, I, I don't know anyone who does stand up that doesn't also have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the at this point, it's kind of one of the promotional tools that you need. And that's actually when I started the, the podcast, it was I was. I was looking at it as just a promotional outlet to get people to come to shows, you know? Um, and now it's, it's the opposite. If anything, I'm thinking of kind of going back to stand up to promote the podcast more. Um, the podcast really took off during COVID and, and it's become my focus and I, I miss doing comedy. I haven't really fully gone back to it. I did a show at the punchline, um, about a month ago and it, it, that was, super fun it made me really want to do comedy again but i i did all old stuff i was i just whisked out and didn't do anything new um and so i knew it was gonna you know i, I knew it was gonna go well but it it did feel like a little bit of a cop-out i need to i need to write new stuff so i have to hit up the open mics and go out there and, and try to get some new material and then i want to start booking some dates yeah it's a uh it's a an interesting thing i almost had a similar i started doing stand up and started the podcast because I wanted to write uh, comedy movies. And I reached out to a bunch of people I thought were funny comedians. And they all said every good writer I know at least dabbles in stand up because you, you know, it just helps you work things out and find funny, you know, mo most comedy writers aren't, you know, headlining comedians, but they at least dabble in it so that they can keep their they can you know figure out a funny voice um and many of them also said start a podcast because a, a couple things is you'll you'll find funny things you can actually turn into stand up on your podcast it just in conversation and um also it, it just helps to to try to be entertaining <laughs> and that's that's I, I my first screenplay attempt i'm like oh this is a dark comedy and i think the first 10 people who I showed it to were like, well, you got the dark part. I, I didn't see any laughs in there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it does help to keep you sharp for sure. Doing a, doing a podcast. I also, what I really like about the podcast. Um, so I had two podcasts before with different comedians and we were just doing, I, I guess everyone, their first podcast, especially if you're a comedian, most people just kind of pattern it after Joe Rogan and try to do like an interview show. But, um, you know, it, it is hard to kind of 
it's hard to do that if you're not, I'm not a natural interviewer. Um, and so I was kind of me and this other comedian were bringing people on and it, it was a learning experience. Um, it taught me that, that, you know, interview podcast is not for me. I think, you know, you, so there are certain people who are really good at it. I've heard some of yours and, and you're definitely a natural when it comes to, uh, kind of bringing people out and, and, and getting them to uh to to talk about themselves and for me that was that was hard um so i i realized i just needed to change the format i needed something different and so me and a, a friend of mine who've been friends since we were young um and have always just had really good chemistry uh i figured you know so much of it i think has to do with chemistry it's about whether or not you vibe with the other host and uh and so we start we just kind of did an experimental podcast for a little while um we were just doing it to see if it was gonna get any traction and mostly we were having fun with it we did the first few episodes in my car actually oh, wow. we were just yeah we just had this remote little uh, recorder and we were not taking it seriously he was pretty drunk through a lot of the first episodes um and uh <laughs> we just you know it, it was just for fun it was called midnight facts for insomniacs because the old podcast had been called midnight speakeasy the one of the ones that i'd done before and so I already had some of the artwork, so I, I didn't want to have to come up with new artwork. And that's why we came up with this Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. We wanted to keep the same theme. And uh, it started just kind of taking off, and we didn't expect that. And we really felt like suddenly we felt pressure. Like once people are listening and you see your numbers going up, you feel like, oh, wow, wait a minute. People are actually paying attention. I need to make this better than it is. Like if people are spending their time listening to me, you know, so... We really, from there, uh, started putting more time and effort into it, and learned kind of the craft of podcasting, and put some some money even into the equipment and stuff, and and um, it just kind of snowballed from there. But yeah, it's been a great experience, and it does, it, especially with the kind of format we have, where we kind of bounce off each other. It's been great for for crowd work and stuff. You know, it just it 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 does make you think in a spontaneous way comedically. And the nice thing is, there's also no pressure to have punchlines. Like you can be witty without having to have like a you know a rim shot after every yeah. 30 seconds right so so it gives you a little bit more freedom it feels a little bit more liberating in some ways because comedy is so straitjacketed by the structure of having to have set up punchline constantly and with with a podcast you know you can kind of ramble and 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 have fun and then be funny here and there and also just be witty without again it needing to it needing to really hit that hard. So it's been it's been fun in a lot of ways. It feels um, a little bit like I have a little bit more freedom with a podcast. Yeah, well, and I I was talking to uh, uh, another comedian uh, on the episode that'll come out on. Well, if you're listening to this episode, it's already come out a few weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> but my next episode that's coming out, uh, and he was I was telling him. Uh, and part of it was a joke. I, I told just a cheap, cheap opening joke to just get laughter. I'm like, I, I do stand up. Uh, you know, afterwards, a lot of people tell me I'm better at podcasting. It hurts my feelings a little bit that they didn't know I actually had a podcast. Though. Um, but but he, he, he made the point is like, you know, a lot of people are funny when, you know, you can bounce things off and it's a lot harder to be funny when you're on stage with a microphone alone, um, especially if you're, I tend to, every time I try to rework my standup, I try to say, stop making fun of myself, stop self-deprecating so much. Uh, I, I can't avoid it. I clearly do not like myself. <laughs> um, 
so so it's like it's it's hard when when uh someone's on stage and at some point somebody in the audience is almost like oh i feel bad for this guy (laughs) (laughs) it's funnier when someone else is there to bounce it off of (laughs) that's true that's true although you know it's that's a better instinct i think in comedy than it's better than going up there and bragging about yourself you know at least you're a sympathetic character and people people like it if you have a sense of humor about yourself but yeah, I think if you're, you know, if you're going too far, then it's just kind of, it's just sad instead of funny. It's just people, people just feel bad for you. Yeah. I, I started writing a bunch of material that, again, I, I, I'm even afraid to do them on open mics, but like I have two kids and kids are a treasure trove of comedy material if you're willing to exploit them. <laughs> right. Um, uh, and and one of my favorite comedians, so I'm not saying this in an insulting way, but Bert Kreischer, you know, his specials, he, he boy, he, and a lot of this stuff is, is fabricated or exaggerated. Um, but man, his wife and kids, I'd be like, I would not, like, I, I think my kids would be like, nope, you're not my dad anymore, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, he goes pretty hard on them. My favorite, I think, was uh, Louis back in the day when, you know, before Louis was kind of semi-canceled, uh, when he had he had that amazing bit that I, I just was shocked by it, where he just goes off about how his daughter is an asshole. He just keeps calling her an asshole and talks about yes. how, you know, someone who won't, if there is a member of your party who will not put their shoes on, you can't leave because this person won't put their shoes on, that person is an asshole. And it's just one of those things where, like, you think about this child's going to grow up and watch this special where he's just calling his, you know, a child an asshole the whole time. Um, But it was brilliant. It was, you know, it was hilarious. It's because that's he's saying the things that people think, but, you know, aren't going to say out loud. And so I I thought that was brilliant. That was good stuff. It's a a fun moment I had uh, last week. I had the flu, like old school influenza, not COVID the flu <laughs> um and uh i don't know why when i tell people that everyone's like are you sure it wasn't covid like, so <laughs> why do you No, it was the flu I, I you know my daughter had the flu she went to the doctor i you know i gave her an at-home covid test anyway yeah. besides Col- colds and flus still happen even yeah, yeah, even in the era exists. of COVID. the old old school influenza is still around mm. but uh so i stopped drinking and uh, I have a, I'm a terrible insomniac uh, myself. And uh, I put on a movie. My, my trick during the day is if I, if I need a nap, I put on a shitty Disney movie and, and say, you guys watch this. Just be quiet while you watch it. So I can, I can get 90 minutes of shut eye. And uh, one of my kids said something. I'm like, I, I got no sleep last night. I'm a terrible insomniac. And what is an insomniac? Oh, it's just, you, I can't sleep at night. Like I, I can't shut down my mind. I can't sleep. And, and one of my kids, I don't remember which one, I think it was my son whose IQs off the charts and everything. And he said, Oh, I have that, but it's during the day. I'm like, yeah. So you're fucking awake <laughs> during the day. What are you fucking retarded? <laughs> uh, I'm like, that's normal kid. Um, that's cute. Kids say kids are great comedians and they don't even know it. You know, kids say hilarious stuff all the time without even meaning to. That's I don't have children myself, but I did teach. Uh, I was a substitute teacher for third grade for almost a year and then a bunch mm. of younger kids, too. And man, those kids were a lot funnier than me. I'll tell you that. Yeah, they unintentionally <laughs> yeah, unintentionally hilarious. And I and I, I I call my kids names. I don't know if that's good or bad parenting. I mean, I'm like. <laughs> 
that was stupid. I... <laughs> uh, well, no, I think that's, I mean, as, as long as they know that, you know, it's, it's, all it's in love. It's in love, <laughs> and that's fine. My mother doesn't like it very much when I call my kids morons, but. It's among friends, and, I, you know, it's the same as, as comedians. We're brutal to each other, but we all know that it's in love. The, the worst, I, 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 I almost, I'm not a very argumentative or aggressive person. I was in a grocery store. My daughter was being awful. This was years ago. And she wanted me to buy her, like, some dinosaur sippy cup. And I'm like, you've been terrible this whole time. I'm not buying you anything. And she's like, if you buy it, I'll behave. I'll be good, I promise. And I said, I don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. And some old woman was walking by and she just gave me the evilest look. Like, what a horrible human being you are. And I wanted to jump down her throat so bad. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, nope, nope, not going to be hey, that guy. <laughs> hey, honestly, you know what? Hey, kudos to your daughter. That's a good strategy. She's uh, she's she's smart. That's that's a great way to get what you want. It's just, uh, you know, she's learning. She's learning early. I'll, I'll hold you hostage with my yeah. behavior. <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah <laughs> not no. in that case. That's good that you didn't uh, that you didn't fall for it, but uh, but it does work a lot. Yeah, no, the I don't negotiate with terrorist line is uh, one I use quite a lot in their early child rearing days. I can um, imagine. Yeah, not. I imagine. I I don't know. I don't know if I'm ever gonna have kids, and that's that's one of the reasons. I think they, I, I, just, <laughs> I don't I don't have enough patience for it. It's tough. I, I do not envy parents. You guys are you guys are saints, and I and I also don't judge parents when they have their momentary snaps here and there because it's it's gonna happen. Yeah, I don't I don't understand how uh, parents don't have those snaps. Right. Oh, I think they all do. They just some some hide it better than others. Yeah. No. I I I um I get roped every year into coaching my son's flag football team, and. Uh, I have an even harder time not yelling at other people's children. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, that's a, maybe you can get out. So that's kind of cathartic because uh, coaches are supposed to yell at their, at their players. So maybe you can get all, get out all your, all your angst, yell at those kids. I, I love uh, in the huddle, I'm calling a play and kids start asking questions. I, can I get the ball? Can I I'm like, this is not a podcast. Shut your damn <laughs> mouth and do what I say. I'm the only one who talks in the huddle. <laughs> See, there you go. You get to you get to live your uh, yelling at kids fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I get it all out on the field. That's right. That's right. It's, it's uh sometimes the parents laugh when they hear me, and sometimes they give me judging looks like that lady at the grocery store. <laughs> Why are that you cussing sense. to my nine year old? Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, tough love, guys. Felt it was warranted. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. What do you let this kid watch on TV? I'm not worse than that. <laughs> right. That's very true these days. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. They probably shouldn't listen to my podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were just watching, boy, we were watching the first episode of Moon Knight, which is on Disney Plus. And I was shocked, man. That is, a, there is a lot of murder on that, on that show. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess, I mean, you know, I guess they probably have a mature rating or something on it, but I, I just didn't see it coming. I was like, wow, I hope, uh, parents pay attention to the ratings before they play this yeah i let my nine-year-old watch it but <laughs> yeah i think nine's okay i mean it's just you know little kids are watching disney plus they're watching all the cartoons oh, yeah. and stuff and, and you know i don't think a four-year-old should be watching moon Knight. that'd be traumatic yeah well it uh you've watched the first episode 
just watched the first episode like um, literally 30 minutes yeah. ago yeah it, it gets more traumatic i would say it's a it, it's awesome i love i i love that marvel actually did something that stands on its own yeah uh and i've watched everything now you know i was a, a late comer to the marvel stuff but i don't like the idea that if i don't if I skip a movie, I'm going to be like, I don't know what's happening in this next movie because you need to watch 2000 hours of Marvel movies to understand what the hell is going on. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's Marvel with their Marvel universe is they're really smart about that. I mean, I guess that's part of how they suck you in and keep you, keep you addicted because you sort of have to keep up with everything to know what's going on. Um, but I do appreciate that there is one that you can just jump in and experience and not have to know the context of everything. Uh, that's cool. Although I will say after only, you know, the first episode, I am a little confused as, as to what the hell is going on in this show. But I, I, I enjoyed it, actually. I really I liked the first episode. Yeah, that, which that, is, that confusion won't go away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm kind of kidding that sense. Uh, but I kind of like it. I like that it's all a little bit crazy. And I'm a, a big fan of, uh, is it, what's his, oh God, is it Oscar Isaac? Is that his name? Uh, uh, Omar name? Isaac. Isaac something. Something I know it's Isaac. Isaac is the last name, and the first I name starts too. with an O. <laughs> yeah, something there. And uh, but he's he's great. What a what an amazing actor. I've really enjoyed him. And uh, I don't know if you saw the uh, robot movie he did. What what was it called? Um, oh boy. Anyway, it's um, it's not going to come to me right now. But uh, he did a movie with like a sentient female robot. You didn't see that? I don't think so. Oh boy! You no, know I drink a lot, so I forget things. Quite <laughs> it often. could have just been. Well, obviously, if if you saw it, you didn't enjoy it that much because it didn't make an impression. Yeah, so it is Oscar Isaac. Uh, it was called Robot Movie. Let me see. I'm gonna look this up because I I recommend this to anyone. Um, Ex Machina. You haven't seen it? No, I have not. Um, I've heard of that though. Oscar Isaac, that was the first time I had ever seen him. It was kind of his breakout role, and he is just a powerhouse in that movie. It's really good. I recommend it. I'll I'll check that out. I like a good robot. Uh, I like a good robot movie. That's what I went through a weekend with my kids where I'm not sure what prompted me. Do you know the movie Cloverfield? Yeah. Shot mm -hmm. all first person. Yeah, like um, a found footage kind of thing. Yeah, and and T.J. Miller is the camera guy for most of it, which is kind of humorous. Um, yeah, because I think that was his first role that anyone saw him in. Yeah. Um, but I I showed the kids that, and then they they were all in on like the destruction of humanity. So we watched War of the Worlds uh, the next day, and I Robot the the day after that because my son's like I I I've seen the aliens, but I think robots are more dangerous. I'm like can't watch terminator yet but we can watch irobot <laughs> yeah, he's got that to look forward to because that that one's a classic but terminator especially uh, judgment day terminator 2 that's such a great i think it still holds up pretty well but yeah i'm definitely like a apocalypse slash uh, science fiction slash robot fan for sure yeah it, that that stuff uh it's interesting that stuff i used to uh i used to hate everything to do with science as a kid really? um my my dad he heard me talking about this on a podcast with an astrophysicist so i've gone the other way as an adult um but he's like i he's like i think it was because you were obsessed with sports your brother didn't like sports he liked science and you just 
made them fight. So in your eyes, anything science, Star Trek, Star Wars was nerdy, awful shit. And, and, and sports, obviously, was king, which, you know, makes me sound like I was quite a dumb child. Um, <laughs> so that translates. <laughs> <laughs> but as an adult, it all is fascinating to me, all of the, the mm. space travel and robots and aliens and I, you can argue whether aliens are or ghosts. You can argue whether that's science or not. I don't know. Yeah, well, I certainly don't pretend to understand any of the science behind it. I, I've never been uh, been like a, a physics man. I did terrible in physics in high school and, and chemistry, uh, but I'm just fascinated by it. I think partly because of that, because I don't understand it, so I'm sort of uh, fascinated by it uh, and envious of people who are who are good at science. Um, but yeah, I just anything that has to do with the end of the world, anything where you know entire cities are leveled. I'm just, I'm on board. Count me in. Yeah. Um, I liked uh, Greenland. Have you seen that one? Yes, I did see Greenland. That was, um, that's the one where they like, remind me of, it's, it's uh, a, who was in it? Gerard Butler. Yes. Okay. Was the lead. Um, and I think it was a comet. Yeah. To, to be nerdy and differentiate between an asteroid and a comet. Uh Right. I, I was very skeptical because I'm like Armageddon and Deep Impact, which came out like the same year. I'm like, I think they've already scratched the surface of this. And I'm like, oh, this one actually is good. And then so that's the one where they they had to go to like the the there was remind me what underground the, bunker and the bunker. That's right. That's how they yeah, where yeah. they had to get. I like part of me, you know, I, I live in St. Petersburg, which is a stone's throw away from Tampa. And part sure. of a part of the shrapnel hit Tampa and destroyed Tampa in the in the beginning of the movie. God. Spoiler alert, folks! Terrifying. Yeah. Um, well, I, I live right next to the the ocean here in Santa Cruz, so anything that has to do with a tsunami is just immediately terrifying mm -hmm. and uh, it gives me extreme nightmares. But I'll one hundred percent watch it. Yeah. Sure. Well, that's I watched Deep Impact with my son. My daughter refused to watch it. And a tidal wave, a tsunami takes over like the eastern side of the United States in that movie. Uh, again, spoiler alert, folks, <laughs> if you haven't watched a 25-year-old movie. Um, and my son's like, would we be okay? We're on the west coast of Florida. I'm like, I mean, we're like at sea level, so probably not. <laughs> probably I not. <laughs> I don't know, but there's a weird fascination of me that wants to like, well, I'd like to see the map to see if we survive. Yeah, I mean, even as, you know, obviously right now we're, we're looking at Ukraine and, and on the verge of World War Three here. It could happen any day. So it is this stuff for some reason is just equal parts fascinating and terrifying. Like I'm I'm scared of it. And that makes me want to, uh, you know, vicariously experience it for some reason. Uh, but I certainly don't want it to happen for real. So knock, I'm looking for wood to knock on right now. But scary yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah we have, movie screens are good enough for yeah for apocalyptic events <laughs> yeah let's keep the uh let's keep the explosions on the on the screen yeah the um i i'm uh, weird weird side note i'm i'm curious whether i i did think it was fascinating that my nine-year-old was sitting there watching these movies and thinking I get the aliens, but I do think robots are more dangerous. And I'm like, that's 
that's a very intelligent thought. That's the opposite mm -hmm. of I, I have insomnia during the day. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's I'm like, yeah, you might be right. Artificial intelligence might be more dangerous than um, it's an interest. It's an interesting idea, though, of what 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 you should be afraid of. Yeah, we did an episode on uh, the Fermi paradox. Are you familiar with the Fermi paradox? No. So it's just it's just the question of why there are so many planets in even just our our uh, our galaxy, and yet we have no signs of intelligent life from outside of Earth. Um, Enrico Fermi was a an astroph well a physicist who basically just asked that question famously, like where where is everybody? Why are we alone? Um, and one of the one of the speculative answers to that question, and we talk about it on on that episode, is this idea that there is basically like a some type of civilization out there that once you get to a, a level of advancement and you start to uh, expand out into the universe, that that there's like kind of like a great white shark civilization out there somewhere that just stamps down any up and coming new civilization that once you reach some level of technology that's threatening or potentially threatening in the future to this civilization or this you know race that they come and just stamp you out um mm. and that's kind of a terrifying thought so you know he, yeah. he's pro your, your kid's probably right that uh we, we're more of a threat to ourselves with our with the things that we're creating you know we're frankenstein here creating a bunch of frankenstein's monsters uh with ai but that was terrifying to me i'd never thought of that this idea that you know maybe the reason that there's nothing else that it feels like there's nothing else out there is because there's something else out there that's making sure that it remains dominant. That's interesting. And that's like the opposite of um, going to something that I, I called nerdy earlier. I, I remember Star Trek first contact. Uh, once humans discovered warp drive, which in talking to astrophysicists and, and the like, that that's not, it doesn't sound like that's, possible but that's besides the point once we discovered this we could travel at the speed of light that's when the aliens came peacefully and said okay now you're worthy of having you know interacting with us um so it's kind of the opposite <laughs> yeah yeah this is the more cynical view of that <laughs> yeah that's that's the idea that you kind of punched your card all right you now are are worthy of joining the intergalactic federation or something and this is the idea that like, oh, well, now you're a threat and you're worthy of us coming and wiping you out. So, yeah, two different two different perspectives. That's definitely a glass half full versus glass half empty <laughs> view, of, view of the alien uh, threat. That's that's yeah. the uh, it, it's so interesting. The so I literally had this discussion today with my mother. I was I was uh, I stopped at a gas station. You know, I go to put my card in. And and the screen says remove uh, remove the the pump or whatever the thing's called. And I'm like, what? Well, this is weird. I pull it out and it says prepaid thirty five dollars. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I'm like, who? And it's a big gas station, a lot of pumps. So I'm like, all right, somebody must have done the wrong thing. So I hit help. It says go inside. I say fuck you. I don't go inside. I'll I go to another gas station before I go inside. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just clicking buttons and it keeps saying prepaid $35. Eventually, I finally hit the buttons. It disappears. I'm like, all right, 
I put my card in, pay for my gas. I was talking to my mother though, and she's like, "Oh, someone probably paid it forward." And yeah. I'm like, "It's it's cute that you think that." I assumed <laughs> that I would if I pumped this gas that somebody's going to walk out of the gas station, go to their pump, realize they paid on the wrong pump, and would shoot me for stealing their gas. Yeah. Um, two different that, perspectives that's where my head went instantly <laughs> yeah. it's like i'm gonna be a gunshot victim at a gas station because i'm like ooh, free gas I i'm always dollars but <laughs> yeah i am always on the more cynical side i suspect everyone and trust no one that is that's that's where my head goes yeah i'm uh i i like to consider myself an optimist uh but then the events like this i realize it's like if the first place my head went was I'm going to get murdered if I pump this $35 worth of gas into my car, I'm probably not. <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm I, I'm not an optimist for sure, but I think uh, there are some benefits to not being an optimist because I am yeah, what I, I remember uh, saying something when I was younger that my mom always repeats, and I'm sure that it's a common trope or something, but um optimists are never pleasantly surprised and that's 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 how i think of things is that i'm always prepared for the worst and then when the worst doesn't happen i'm excited about it whereas i'm like you know this is great wow this is so much better than i expected whereas optimists are just constantly disappointed when the best thing doesn't happen that's that's how i feel about it It, well and it's interesting though because they get um i i think i'm that way with sports at least I'm always assuming my team, this is, we can win this, the championship no matter what, you know, no matter what team it is. And, and the lightning have won the last two Stanley cups. So they, yeah. they haven't hurt, but the saints have broken my heart year after year after year. And uh, still, I think the saints are going to win the super bowl this year. But so my point is it's interesting how often you get your heart broken and you're devastated and disappointed yet. Your mind still goes back to, think the best thing's going to happen. Well, we talked about comedy being for masochists and I think <laughs> sports fandom really is too. I mean, it is mm-hmm. it's crazy how much misery I get out of this thing that I love. I'm a huge Warriors fan. I grew up in the Bay Area. I've, you know, I I was in the East Bay for a long time and now and I actually spent 12 years living in San Francisco and the Warriors are now in the city. And uh, you know, constantly it's it's just stressful i mean as much as i even in even when they win unless it's a blowout game that's the only time i'm actually enjoying myself watching a sports game is if we're up by 30 points and i feel confident that they're not going to come back other than that it's just like constant stress i mean i watched the game yesterday and you know we were winning up until the last quarter the last half of the last quarter and then got blown out and it just uh it's just painful and I, I was literally asking myself halfway through the game like why do i do this why do i do this to myself why do i put <laughs> myself through this why it's just it's so emotional like it, you know what i like to do is watch other teams that i don't care about play now that's kind of my favorite that's my happy place that's my comfort zone now is two teams that i don't give a damn about watching them play because then i'm not invested i can just enjoy the physicality and the athleticism of it and not be so, you know, not to have my, my heart broken if it doesn't go my way and constantly be on the edge of my seat. I feel like it's just anxiety. It's just constant anxiety watching the Warriors. Yes. I, I, I remember uh, watching a Saints game back in 2009, and I, I 
at least then I haven't had my blood pressure taken in probably over a year, but at least back then I had a healthy blood pressure, you know, 110 over 60, 110 over 70, something like that on a whim during a saints game that they were winning 38 to 17. This was a week one blowout against the lions, Matthew Stafford's first game as the lions uh, quarterback 2009. And my dad stuck the blood pressure thing on me. It was like, 210 over 140 he's like yeah. you're, you're gonna have a stroke and die and i'm like yeah. we're, we're we're winning by 21 points i feel like this is problematic that my body is having this kind of stress reaction to a game yeah it cannot be healthy i don't know nope. or me or maybe it is you know maybe i'm just it's almost like a workout like i don't even have to work out i can sit on my i can sit on my couch and my heart beats fast enough that i'm getting an aerobic workout without aerobic actually exercise. doing it yeah i'm I'm, ba- <laughs> I'm basically playing a basketball game while watching a basketball game i think yeah ba- that's why baseball is the healthiest sport probably to watch because there's so much you're there's so maybe much in downtime. the playoffs your heart will race <laughs> but in the regular season it's like Oof, I got to remember to pause this so I can fast forward through some of these dead spots. <laughs> Baseball is the the zen, the most zen of, of sports because there's a lot of downtime, a lot of time to just sit there and relax. That's for sure. I was watching one baseball game and I remember, because I'm not a huge baseball fan, I really do like going to baseball games. I think I just, something about the, the aesthetics of the big green field and just, you know, having a hot dog and uh, back when I drink, having a beer and it just there was something great about that experience but watching it on tv to me is just watching paint dry golf and 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 baseball i can't watch on tv both of them i can enjoy in person but i just cannot watch them and i remember we were my friend was a huge baseball fan my ex-roommate and we were watching a game because he was he was super invested in it and there was like five minutes of time where the camera I don't know what was going on, but it was whatever normal baseball pauses there are. And the camera was just focused on these seagulls, these birds out in the outfield. And the the two commentators spent a good three to four minutes just talking about seagulls. And they were just like, look, 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 that's a big one. That's a, that's a big bird. Look at that bird. Oh, the other one. Now he's got to look at his foot. Something wrong with his foot. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, that's, you know, I, I wonder about seagulls. Are they always near the sea? You know, cause we're pretty far. And I, I just remember turning to my friend and I was just like, really, really, this is the sport that you watch. You find this exciting. And I, he just wouldn't meet my eye. He was like, it's not always like this. Okay. <laughs> it's not always like this. And I was like, this is the most boring freaking thing I've ever seen in my life. But uh, I respect baseball, but I, I just, I can't, I can't watch it. Well, I, when when I was younger, my goal was always to be a play-by-play, uh, you know, announce sports games. And football has always been my favorite. But uh, I actually worked for the Tampa Bay Rays for five seasons. Uh-huh. Uh, and I spent a decent amount of time in the broadcast booth, uh, you know. And uh, I, I did come to realize, I'm like, you know, the best sport to do play-by-play in is baseball. Yeah. Because it's basically like you're doing a podcast and like, oh, this pitch is outside. Two and one's the count. So, anyways, let's talk about those seagulls again. Yeah, it's um, a conver- it's a conversation that is occasionally interrupted by sports. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that ball's fouled off. It's two and two. Uh, so, so, anyways, let's talk so about back those to what... in the front row. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what it is. It, the The hardest one is basketball. I am constantly impressed by basketball commentators because. Boy, they that is a fast-paced game, and they're just you know you're constantly having to know who's got the ball at the time, and you know some some of the guys are they're all wearing the same color 
shirt and they, they all look say i don't know how they do it i was actually thinking that watching it the other day that the commentators that that is a rough one uh, they don't... I'll, I'll, I'll one up you hockey yeah yeah i don't watch a lot of hockey but boy, it is, it is fast paced <laughs> that's true too yeah that is rough and it is it's really fast paced too and man i can barely keep my eye on that on that hockey puck i don't know who's got the puck half the time i you know i i you know uh, special skill of mine is actually following the puck so i'm the weirdo like i love to go to bars and watch the lightning playoff games because i will shout and scream when the puck goes in the net a full second before anyone before else realizes it registers it. yeah because i i don't know what i can't explain it it's not it's just i follow it very well and i think a lot of it's just the anticipation of knowing where having seen i think if you if you see a sport enough you know you know what the patterns are and how that's going to go like i can pretty much tell with with basketball it's the same way i mean i can tell just from the angle of someone's arm going up whether half the time i can tell whether the shot's going to go in you know i'm like yeah i'll I'll, they'll release the ball and i'll just you know my i'll be watching with my stepdad and i'll be like oh damn it and he's like how did you know that that wasn't gonna hit and i'm like "Ah, i can just you know you can you can tell you watch enough of a sport and i played it when i was younger so you know it just uh it's one of those things where you just it's almost like a a sixth sense that you develop from just being so exposed to it so somebody got mad the first time I went to a Saints game in New Orleans, Michael Thomas, best receiver in the league. But Michael Thomas, it was his rookie year. He he caught he had two fumbles in the game, and both times a full probably two seconds before he fumbled, I screamed, "Cover up the ball!" Yeah, I could yeah, just you- see the way he was holding the ball. And, and, and somebody actually got mad at me. Like I put bad juju on him by screaming at him. I'm like, no, he was holding the ball terribly. I, I, yeah. You know, and I don't think the guys fumbled since that game, but he fumbled twice in that game. And I screamed to cover up the ball. A, a yeah. I good mean, time before he did it. <laughs> I mean, you know, there are only so many things that can happen in a situation in a game, and those situations reoccur so many times. You know, it's the same thing with watching football, and it's it's the last drive of the game, and they're down by, and they're you know they're down by four, so you know they need to they need a touchdown, and uh, and the the quarterbacks, you know, he's he's harried and he's 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 running. And that's when you can even the, the a lot of times the commentators will say like you know up oh, got to watch out for a for a for an interception here and you can tell you know you're like okay here it comes he's gonna he's gonna throw a pick and then it happens and it almost feels like wow I you know I, I give myself props I'm like oh I'm you know I, I apparently I'm I'm, I'm psychic right but it's just like no that's what happens when a quarterback is is panicked and he's throwing the ball you know all over the place so so yeah i mean these things just reoccur so often that if you're a big enough fan you start to feel like you can anticipate those things coming and and you can uh it's 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 all patterns i guess right it's pat it's patterns it's just patterns um here's a question i'll ask you based on something you said and you if if you don't want to answer this i certainly can edit this out um, you, you had mentioned you don't drink anymore. Um, I obviously drink enough for a village. Um, as I was refilling my drink while we were talking, um, is there, a uh, what's the reason? And I don't mean that in a bad judgmental way. Of course, I, I respect people who don't drink to be honest. Yeah. 
I, you know, there's no, I wish I had a good story, like I hit rock bottom or something, you know, I wish I wish I had a, I ended up naked in church or something, and that was my wake-up call. Um, oh, that, that's that would a wake-up call? I, that, yeah, yeah <laughs> isn't that, that, that's just a Sunday. Uh, but no, I, I feel like, um, for me, it was, comedy really, really was sort of the, the push for that. I, one thing I was always really cognizant of was how dangerous it can be to be someone who has a tendency to over drink um and i that was in comedy because that was fine when i was in college you know on weekends i'd get wasted and that was I, that was fun and then after college too just waiting for the weekend to go out and and have some fun and kind of binge drink um and it wasn't too much of a problem i knew that i didn't have a lot of control over my drinking that when i went out and drank i drank to get drunk like i wasn't drinking to yeah. it's very hard it was very hard for me to like have a beer at a barbecue and not have six more beers, you know, but I always knew that that was, I was still functional. It wasn't, it wasn't a problem. I wasn't going to drink on a Tuesday, you know, it wasn't going to affect my work or my daily life, but, but going into comedy, I mean, comedy is where a lot of comedians just, if you have those tendencies, you're going to fall off the, the, the cliff with drinking because you're in bars. So often a lot of, you know, when you're starting out, a lot of the open mics are at bars. Once you get a little bit further you get free drinks at all the comedy clubs i mean you know any comedy club that i'm working at they're gonna give you they don't charge you for drinks so it is just it's and it's also because of stage fright because especially when you're starting out it's so easy to be like you know what i'm gonna have two shots before the show and then that becomes your routine and then it becomes three shots and then after you get off you want to celebrate so then you have a few more shots because you had a great set and then you become a big sloppy mess. And half the time, a lot of those comics who drink before they get up on stage, one thing I would see, they didn't know how drunk they were and how bad they were doing. You drink until you don't, you can't tell if you did did well or not. So I was really careful from the beginning not to drink before a set. I, I've never had alcohol before a set. Mm. Um, but afterwards, I got into, you know, I just started getting into a routine of hanging out at the club afterwards and getting free drinks and, you know, found myself... I, my, I guess, I guess I had kind of a rock bottom moment, which was, I realized I was, I was going to, you know, a lot of the comedy clubs were over the hill, what, what we call over the hill in Santa Cruz, were were over a hill from, uh, from San Jose and the rest of the Bay Area and San Francisco and, and the East Bay. And a lot of the comedy clubs are over there. And there's a, a highway called Highway 17, which is the one that, that we have to use to get from Santa Cruz to most of the shows. And it is treacherous. It's one of the most dangerous uh, freeways in, in California. Uh, it goes over a, over a mountain and it's very, very tw twisty. And I mean, I've seen cars on fire. I've seen horrible stuff on this, on this freeway. And I was driving over the freeway coming back from a show. And I remember I had, I had one eye closed because I was seeing double. And so I was driving back. I was so drunk. I had one eye closed so that I could just see where, you know, the turns coming up. And I remember getting back and going, "What? Well, you know, that's probably not good. That's 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 not great. The most dangerous freeway in in California, and I'm driving it with one eye closed because I'm wasted. So I just at that point I was like, I gotta I gotta sober up. And my wife also she um she's had some struggles with alcohol, so she was in uh, AA at the time, and so it was you know I had a I had a reason also to just it's a little bit better for an out for someone who's struggling with alcoholism to not have an alcoholic in the house. And so yeah. we kind of did it together and we've done, you know, a lot of AA and kind of helping each other through it. And, uh, I still, I, I don't drink, I will have, there's these like kombuchas I have that have like 
1.5% alcohol or something. And if I drink a couple of those, I'll get like a minor buzz. Um, so that's, that's the most, you know, that, that's the most, uh, wild I get is on my, on my, <laughs> I go, I go wild and out, wild and out on kombucha. Um, but other, <laughs> other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm full on sober these days. No, and that's, I, I respect that. And, uh, that's, uh, I, I often tell people, I'm like, well, you know, aside from weighing a lot, um, every time I, I go sober for a week, I drop 10 pounds in a week. So it's like, yeah, I know I, I could be sober for six <laughs> weeks and I would look great. Um, but I, I haven't had the, the rock bottom. I did have a, in fairness, I had an experience when I worked for the Rays, I went to a coworker's birthday party and, uh, a player was there and I had driven, I was, I don't even know if I was 21 yet, frankly, mm-hmm. um, tequila shots, you don't turn down tequila shots. Um, and I remember I was driving home and a cab just stopped short to like kick someone out. I don't know. I don't know what I luckily was alert and I avoided it. And my car like spun around as I avoided this cab that just stopped, you know, in front of me. And I'm like, if I had hit that cab, I would be in jail. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if it wasn't your fault, even if you were, you know, driving, right. and that's that. I, that's something I used to think is like, hey, if I'm drunk and I'm driving and some kid runs out in front of me, even if even if I would have hit them if I was sober, that's still I'm going to go to jail for life. You know? Yeah. Well, and kudos to me. I've never driven drunk since, but that makes uh, you know that makes going to open mics quite expensive. <laughs> Yeah, when you're when you're spending fifteen dollars on an Uber each way, and one night I will say, so so I had the philosophy: I'll hang out at the club afterwards, try to make friends with the bartender, the service staff. You know, it's good networking, which not wrong, except for you know, at an open mic, you're paying for your drinks. So like I I go home, I I, I paid thirty dollars for an Uber there and back, and I paid a hundred dollar bar tab, and I'm like. Well, this was an expensive night. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For me, giving a good set, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, especially at some of the, you know, some of the bar shows and things. As you as you move up, right, it goes from from open mics where you don't really get anything for free or make any money, and then the next step is like the the shows, right? Which are they're not at comedy clubs, but they're at local venues or whatever. They're at bars and things. And a lot of times they'll pay you in free drinks or they'll give you a little bit of money and then you spend all that money on on the drinks. So then I, I, yeah, that's another thing that I see with comedians is that, you know, comics who are kind of mid-range now starting to finally get paid a little bit for doing comedy, but then they put it all back in and, you know, comedy is costing them $100 a a week and they're they're not making anything on it just because they're drinking it all away. And so that, that's another, you know, that was another incentive for me to, to stop drinking because I realized, Hey, in the beginning, I'm not making that much money, if anything from it. And I don't want this hobby to turn into something where it's actually costing me a lot of money. Yeah. This, this hobby is a money pit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then golfing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, once you're, once you're in clubs and stuff and you're, and you're getting free drinks, that, that can be one of those things where you suddenly feel like, Oh, I'm going to, I've seen comedian comedians who I feel like they're like trying to drink their way into you know, making up for all the the money they put into alcohol before they got into the clubs. And and so they just 
you know, they're making up for lost time and that's not a great strategy. They're like, you know, drinking, drinking to kind of, uh, <laughs> as recompense for for alcohol not, not a great strategy so it's i i had enough people i i saw enough i guess red flags around me with c- talented comedians who were really uh on a downward spiral that that was good too that that was a good wake-up call no well and, and kudos to you also for for stopping before rock bottom it's, it's yeah. easy to stop when you're there. Well, I get it's probably not easy to stop when you're there. Um, yeah. but, Sometimes there there are levels of rock bottom. You can you know, I've seen yeah. people hit a rock bottom and keep digging. So you, know, you can always there's always another one. There's always you know then you start jackhammering through rock bottom at some point. <laughs> yeah. Anytime <laughs> you think you're at the bottom, you can go lower. Trust me. There there's a, there's another level. You know what's funny? This goes back to the optimist conversation we had earlier is some of my best days back back when i had you know a corporate job i'd show up and everything went wrong that morning i i stopped a couple times i stopped at two gas stations and the pumps weren't working and you know i'm not going inside we already discussed that (laughs) so one time i even punched the pump very mature of me and was bleeding from my hand and I showed up at work. I was late. I was not happy because all of these things were out of my control. Bad traffic, bad, you know, I couldn't get gas at multiple gas stations. I have bloody knuckles. And I'm like, today's going to be a good day. Why? Well, <laughs> I don't think I could have any more bad things happen to me today. So I think we're all on the upswing. Um, but that attitude, I did have good days. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, all right, well, things are pretty bad. So they're, it, but it does help to think things could always get worse. And then again, when they get better, you go, oh, great. You know, I'm, I'm excited every, every time something doesn't go as badly as I thought it would. Because one thing I have learned is that as soon as you say things can't get any worse, that's famous last words, right? Because <laughs> like we said with the jackhammer, there's always another level. So I, I just expect that things are going to be challenging and, uh, and I'm, pleasantly surprised when they go uh when they go better than i expected yeah no that's uh it's an interesting uh an interesting outlook one way or the other that uh and i i say all this and uh not not to to take a late deep dive into mental health but i say all this and i'm someone who's tried to commit suicide a couple times so it's like yeah the optimism doesn't work that much (laughs) yeah i mean it is it, uh, depression definitely can uh, can be exacerbated by major pessimism, and I think I think it is good to sort of maintain a, a healthy outlook on life, uh, but also a realistic one. And I think that that's kind of where I try to draw that line. Is like I don't want I I you know I don't think everything's always going to be terrible, um, but I just want to be realistic because it's unlikely that everything is going to go perfectly either. So you know it's kind of I I err on the side of caution with that. Um, but I too have, you know, I deal with kind of anxiety and, and some depression. Um, and I, I find that, you know, I just don't, certain people respond really well to like affirmations and kind of, uh, being, trying to force themselves to be optimistic as much as they can. And that just doesn't seem to work for me. I I have to kind of have a a semi-pessimistic attitude and then again, be delighted when things work out well. And then that kind of gives me the, that gives me the strength to keep keep you know keep going on because 
things aren't always going to go as badly as I think they will. <laughs> and so that, that, yeah. that keeps me, that keeps me, that peps me up a little bit. I, I love that though, because it, it shows how individual mental health is that, uh, everyone needs to figure out their own tricks. Uh, yeah. When I was a guest on a podcast and they, they went in depth about talking to me about when I almost, I almost killed myself, I don't know, two and a half years ago or something. I was about to, but uh, anyways, I, 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 the process was stopped, um, you know, and, and it was, it was paused, I should say, because in, in the moment, I'd send a text message, you know, one of those, everyone who tries to commit suicide, I feel like has a little, uh, no, they either want to leave a note or they want to leave a message to their loved ones saying, you know, it's, you know, it's not your fault, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, and my mom called me and I, I basically screamed back and forth for an hour. And I realized if I killed myself, she'll hold herself responsible. So I said, I'm just going to wait a week. Uh, and, and then, so anyways, the uh, time passed and a week later I was like, eh, that, that was silly. I don't need to do that. Um, but my, po my point was everyone has to have their own mental health strategy. Mine has become, I I've become vocal about it to an extent. And then my close friends and family know my struggles because if I start acting weird, I get a bunch of people texting me and calling me asking what's going on because they know that that is going to bring me, maybe not out of it, but out of a funk, uh, out of whatever you want to call it, deep depression is what it frankly is. Right. Um, but that doesn't work for everyone. Everyone, everyone has their own little approach and... Uh, it's i don't even know if i have a point here it's, uh, or or no, definitely that, not a question but <laughs> that that makes sense to me i think one of i went through a i went through a really rough stretch where i had a, kind of a nervous breakdown and that was where it kind of i didn't know that i had anxiety for a lot of years um and i to be fair I, I don't think i did it really you know i had minor anxiety and then it really manifested through sort of a crisis a mental health crisis situation and um and yeah i I, I never considered suicide seriously, um, and I think the reason is is because that was in the back of my head was just I can't I couldn't do that to my family, and so I had to I had to get comfortable with the idea of living with discomfort, and that was something that be, that was part of the the pessimism thing kind of helped me there was like well I've never expected things to be good anyway, so I can live with things being difficult. And so that gave me, I think, some fortitude. And some people find that in optimism. You know, if, if they're an optimist, it will get better. It will get better. And for me, it was like, it might not get better, but I can, I can do this. You know, just getting to the point where it's, I can live with discomfort. I can go forward like this. And comedy was really helpful. It's interesting. You, a lot of people assume that comedy breeds a lot of anxiety. But for me, comedy makes me feel being, especially when I was starting out, uh, getting on stage does involve a lot of anxiety you have the butterflies you get nervous but that's a very appropriate response to right. being in that situation and so the anxiety that i was feeling all the time in my life in those moments felt normal 
I felt like this is how I should be feeling. And so it didn't feel weird. Whereas when you're getting that anxiety while you're going through a grocery store, you know, that feels weird. That's not okay. That's where you start freaking out. Like, why do I have so much anxiety and I'm just choosing cereal? But then when you're on stage and you're getting the anxiety, it's like, oh, this is normal. This is this is what people feel when they're on a stage. And so it, it almost like allowed me to have moments of feeling human and, and normal. Um, and so in, in some ways, anxiety was really beneficial or at least comedy was was beneficial to the anxiety. And then you get to the point where you don't feel that much anxiety on stage anymore. And it becomes kind of a comfort zone uh, where you can go and, and it's, it's a great distraction, you know, having, a, a, I'm not thinking about all the other things that normally run through my brain and freak me out when I'm on stage. I'm just thinking about what I'm going to say next. So it can be in some ways really therapeutic, uh, yeah. for, for the kind of anxiety that I had. Well, I, I've said before, um, some, somebody, I get encouraged a lot of times to go to therapists and I'm not shitting on therapy. It just doesn't work great for me personally because i put on a show for the therapist i'm not frankly i'm not honest i don't know why i'm more honest on my podcast or when i have a microphone on stage than i am in front of a therapist makes no sense there are hundreds of people listening to every podcast i put out there are dozens maybe of people listening to me when i do stand up Uh, But for some reason, I'm more comfortable being honest then. So I'm like, therapy is good to talk things through for me, but it's not my anchor. But to me, in a similar doing doing a stand up set where maybe, you know, maybe it's a little dark and not super funny, but can 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 still be more therapeutic than. To, to me than going sitting one-on-one talking to a stranger about that and again same with my podcast i i would i would have a hard time going to a therapist and talking about suicide uh and and the thoughts that went through my head i've done it on my podcast and gone on other people's podcasts and talked about it a dozen times <laughs> and i'm like yeah yeah go ahead ask me anything yeah i had a plan i had a plan that was the most convenient for my family because i didn't want a lot of cleanup involved right, <laughs> it, right. It, it's it's sick um it's interesting though i i i had going back to the first guest uh i ever had on the podcast uh he talked about uh i forget the term for it but uh he said he had a ted talk and he was talking about suicide and he said you know the way my brain works is you know my car broke down so my options are fix the car buy a new car or go kill myself right and i'm like holy shit that's literally what my brain does every time and and one time i remember it strongly was when my car the engine blew out and i'm like People are like, oh, you can you can pay six hundred bucks for an engine. We'll we'll drop it in. You can do that. You know, buy a new car. And in the back of my head, I'm like, there's a third option. I can kill myself, and I don't have to worry about any of this shit. And right. it's a obviously it's a fucked up thing. Um, but it uh, it still is. Uh, it's interesting how it instills itself in your brain. <laughs> It is. I think that everyone, everyone has their challenges. You know, this is something that learning over time really helps 
to normalize some of this stuff. You know, I, I think that it's something that even probably 15 years ago, um, when I think I started being aware of slight anxiety and then like eight to 10 years ago when it really kind of kicked in, um, I, I wouldn't have been as comfortable talking about. And now, you know, with the prevalence of podcasts and talking about mental health and you just, you realize I don't know anyone in my personal life who hasn't struggled with mental health issues. Not a single, not a single person. And that might be partly because I'm not that interested in being friends with people who don't, because I, I sort of don't understand them. Like if you've never had any issue with your mental health or you don't recognize, I, first off, I think if you've never had any issues with your mental health, you probably are just in denial about them. You're just not right. aware of them. That's <laughs> but, one option. <laughs> but second, uh, you know, if you are a 100% normal person, quote unquote normal, and you don't have any issues to deal with, I just can't identify with you. You know, I just, I just don't get it. So I think that we now are able to talk about this stuff and find alternate ways of coping. It used to be that people were too nervous to talk to their friends and family and strangers even about their their mental health so they had to go to therapists because that was where it was you know it was it was um a safe space venue. yeah yeah it was an appropriate venue and it was a safe space and it was confidential and, and everyone was ashamed of it so they had to go to a you know to a private room with a with a doctor and talk about it and now a lot of people are finding it beneficial to just be able to talk to other people who deal with the same stuff and, you know, and, and, and air this stuff and get it out and sort of use, use the venue of, of, of a stage or a podcast or, you know, even maybe a, a group, a Zoom group or something online to, to talk about this stuff. So it's almost like there are alternatives to therapy that people can find on their own that work better for them. And that is something that, that I've found. I, I, you know, I, I've been to traditional therapy and found it useful, especially CBD, cognitive behavioral therapy. There's some great techniques. It's very like results oriented. And instead of like, they don't talk about your childhood. They talk about like, what are you dealing with now? And what are some techniques that we can do to manage this? And that, that appeals to me because I'm very proactive with things. Um, but yeah, traditional talk therapy, I just, you know, it's, it's not something that I feel like I need in this day and age where there's social media and I can get on the, you know, stage and, and, and spout it to a couple hundred people. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't necessarily need uh, to go sit in a room with someone anymore. Yeah, no, that's, that's well, well said. And uh, obviously a disclaimer, neither of us are uh, doctors or whatever, but uh, no, I, 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 I do love the fact that uh, uh, it's becoming more of a thing that men are willing to talk about. I think that's a, I, I don't know. I, I, I always, my old stupid macho thinking always had the, well, I'm never going to display any weakness. I don't want, you know, I don't want anyone to know uh, there's a chink in my armor. I'm a, you know, I, and I'm, I'm six, two, I'm, I'm big guy. I don't, I don't want anyone to see any weakness in me. Uh, and obviously that's, that's changed. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, that was one of the best things for me about having a breakdown. I mean, I think I was very guarded with stuff. I, it was stuff that I, I needed to talk about and get out and I just wasn't. And that was where the breakdown came from was just being so repressed with so much stuff that I was dealing with. Um, and it was very, it was it, in some ways the best thing to come out of that was the breaking down of those walls and me recognizing like 
there has to be a, an amount of vulnerability if I'm going to survive going forward because I can't continue this way without acknowledging the things I'm going through. And um, and then people came out of the woodwork. I mean, I remember the girl that I was dating at the time who we had just, we'd just been dating for a, a short time, maybe a month. And I started having these panic attacks and I didn't know what they were. I didn't know where they were coming from. I thought I was going crazy. And she immediately was like, oh my God, I have panic attacks all the time. I've been hospitalized three times. I thought I was having a heart attack. I've gone to the, this was something that we had never talked about. You know, she hadn't, we hadn't ever brought it up. I didn't know that she suffered from that. Um, and there were people all of a sudden, I, you know, I posted about it, I think on Facebook that I had gotten out of the hospital and, uh, suddenly everyone I knew, you know, I was just getting messages like, oh my God, I was in the hospital two weeks ago for anxiety or for a panic attack. And, you know, someone at work that I was able to, to talk down. I was, um, at the time I was, uh, managing a, a spa and I was able to kind of, this one guy who was working there was one of the massage therapists was having a panic attack and he didn't know what it was. He was trembling and he was like, I don't know what's happening to me right now. I just don't know what's happening. He had to leave a treatment that he was doing. And I said, you're having a panic attack and talked him through it. And, you know, we ended up being good friends going forward. And he went and got some, some therapy and was really helpful. And, you know, I wouldn't have known what was, what was happening to him if I hadn't known what was happening to me because so many people kind of were able to help me. And so it's one of those, you know, it's a pay it forward situation. And it's also one of those things where you just sort of recognize in retrospect how important something that seemed negative and terrible at the time really was like the idea of breaking down those walls and talking about mental health would have been terrible. I would have seen it as weakness before that happened. And the best thing that happened was me breaking down that stupid, you know, pride thing mm -hmm. and just getting to like, Hey, we all just need to be real with each other. And it, it, it just, it, it, it's a cliche, but it, it, it's real. And it does matter to be able to talk about the things that are going on with you and acknowledge the things that are going on with you and not try to tough it out. There's no, because there are certain things I've learned that you you just can't tough out. I don't care how tough you are. You're you're not going to get through that. You can't fight your brain. Your brain runs you. And if yeah. your brain is having some kind of malfunction, you can be the toughest, you know, badass in the world. You can't fight against your brain. It, it's not going to work. So that was that was really useful for me. And so, you know, some of the again, some of the worst things that happen end up being the most positive later on. Yeah, well, and I, I would say the, the most macho masculine thing you can possibly do uh, is be authentic and be able to be vulnerable. Exactly. I mean, hundred percent. that's, uh, you know, <laughs> that's one thing I've, I've taken away from this whole thing is that people, people respect people a lot more who do have weaknesses that are happy to, to show them and talk about them. Uh, and it, it, it doesn't make you any, uh, less physically strong, uh, actually, you know, the more I talk about stuff like this, the stronger I feel mentally and physically, um, because it's, you know, it I, takes real courage to talk about stuff that, you, that, you know, is feels threatening to your manhood or your pride or whatever. That's, that's real courage is being able to say, no, screw that. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to talk about whatever I need to talk about or whatever I'm feeling now. Um, and it, it's interesting because I think we were, a lot of us were raised to think that courage was just not saying it up. Yeah. 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 It's, um, uh, 
going back to something you said, people who don't have mental health issues, A, I don't believe them. B, they're in denial. C, they're just a moron who's not capable. Their brain doesn't work right. <laughs> like That's almost my third thing. I'm like, you're just too dumb and good for you. You're happy. <laughs> I also find that like it's something that the movie Almost Famous, they have a great line and I, I don't remember exactly what it is, so I'm not going to butcher it completely. But it, but uh, the idea is that like great, you know, great art doesn't come from being cool and being, you know, nothing, no one who is like cool and and guarded has ever made like great art. Like all the great art that you can think of comes from some level of vulnerability and acknowledging emotion and you know, and, and frailty and, and, and weaknesses and issues and the, the human condition. Like there's nothing, there's nothing artistic and awesome about just being cool, you know? Um, and that's something that I've always found holds true in, in my life and, and what I've seen. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um, well, Shane, I've kept you a long time and I apologize for that, but I've had a black, I didn't realize how long I kept you until I just noticed the clock down here. Oh, yeah. um, but before you go, tell my listeners where they can find you on anywhere you want them to uh, find you. Sure. So as I, <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, as I go back to doing comedy, uh, you'll be able to find my shows on shanerogers.net. Right now, I'm mostly doing... Um, I'm kind of, I'm starting out at just some open mics recently, just trying to write some new material. I really want to have some new stuff before I get out into the clubs. Um, but then as I start getting back into the clubs, I'll be at, uh, if Rooster Teeth Feathers reopens, that'd be great. But otherwise, uh, the San Jose Improv, the, um, the Cobbs and, and Punchline in San Francisco, um, and those will show up at shanerogers.net on my website once I'm, once I'm booking some shows. Uh, and in the meantime, Midnight Facts for Insomniacs, it's a podcast of fun facts. We talk about everything from Scientology to megafauna. Uh, we've done cults. We've done, you know, QAnon. We've done all kinds of stuff. Uh, our most recent one, I think, was uh, witchcraft and, and Salem witch trials. Um, and they're all chosen by the listeners. So we have an active Discord community, about 300-something people in there always talking about the show. And they create a poll and then they vote on it for the subjects and that's what we do. So a lot of interaction there. It's just been a blast doing that. And uh, my co-host, uh, Duncan, is awesome too. So yeah, check those out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, I, I will say I would beat both of you guys at that trivia game you play. I, I forget the <laughs> name of it. Who, who's Dumber or something like that. And yeah, we've got two of them. We play uh, Things They Don't Teach You in School. And this These were sent to us by listeners, actually, because we were looking for a, something fun to do on the After Midnight episodes, which are like some uh, bonus episodes. And so she sent us uh, two different I Should Have Known That and Things They Don't Teach You in School. And we play like one quick round of this at the beginning of every uh, After Midnight episode. Yeah, no, I, I learned the hard way. I, I'm not that smart, but I've got a lot of useless bar trivia knowledge inside of this stupid brain. <laughs> oh well, if we ever, if I'm ever in, uh, if I'm ever in Florida, we'll have to go do trivia. I love doing bar trivia. I'm not great at it, and I don't drink, but I, I like. I still like going. I still like I, going. I'll have a, I'll have a ginger ale and uh, play trivia. Yeah, my my team always finishes second or third. So 
that's you know what i don't know what that is i don't think i've ever won but i've always yeah my team is always cut we've always yeah. placed but i can't get over that hump so may, maybe me and you could join forces and the, the two second place the two perennial <laughs> second place finishers could finally pull each other over we'd be like the you know the the uh, dream team we can pull each other over yeah. the hump get 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 past that damn goal line for once finally yeah <laughs> Shane, uh, thank you so much for joining me. I had a blast talking to you uh, about fun stuff, about serious stuff, about everything. Thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. Again, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's it. That's all. Hope you had a ball. Thank you, Shane Rogers. Check out Midnight Facts for Insomniacs, and you can check Shane Rogers' website out as well shanerogers.net i had a great time chatting with him hope you enjoyed uh listening to that uh hey stay tuned for uh more great episodes coming your way i'm about to go through a, a spree of recording a lot hopefully in a short amount of time so that while i'm uh, a little bit preoccupied on camera and probably can't record for you know a few weeks there uh i will still have some content for you some evergreen stuff uh for you uh while i am away uh do me a favor follow me on all the socials all of those links are below if you only can do one thing subscribe to the youtube channel uh if you want to do more you can go on imdb and rate this episode I I tend I really liked this one. I thought this was very diverse. Talked about a lot of things. I'm going to say I would rate it a ten stars, uh, but maybe I'm a loose uh, judge. I don't know. Um, and yeah, hey, go to Ibotta, download that. Uh, it, it seriously, I don't know anyone who couldn't use a few extra bucks nowadays. Uh, click that in the link below. Uh, if you uh, have money, uh, if you you're just interested in finding out more spirits and stuff like that, click that Flaviar link. You get a deal by clicking the link below, and I get a, a little deal too, but shh, can't talk about that. Uh, yeah, that'll do it. Tell a friend if you enjoy this podcast. I greatly appreciate it, and uh, I will see you next week. Peace. <laughs>